Okay, we are back. This is the NSL podcast. This is episode six. Going to be diving into some math instruction. I am joined, as always, by Kevin Carroll, Angela Rippey, and Morgan Scaife. So, what's been going on with you guys lately? Um, I have been, I'm in uh, the swing of school starting. We're getting some um, collaboration going through, which we call Job Embedded in St. Joe. So we have collab schedule up and running. We've done some standards-based grading uh, work and some um, new phonics program. The first grade team met yesterday with that. And so we're just kind of um, getting some observations done and getting into some classrooms. I know it's a little early. Teachers love that. So that's what we've been up to. Um, I've been hanging out with my grade level team a lot, um, just getting stuff ready, setting stuff up for the year. We've been having a lot of fun. We're kind of joking all the time, so that's awesome. Um, I basically come home and try out voices on air now because (laughs) (laughs) we're speaking in accents all the time, so. It's cool. New grade level this year, right? Yeah. So I went from sixth sixth down to fifth. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. And Levi and I have been back, um, for now two weeks with our students and, building those relationships, getting all the norms, procedures all set, and diving into some instruction now. Yeah, next week should be like that. Uh, the relationships is obviously the whole year, but that full week of really instruction, which is about time. I'm always ready for it. It's too long of procedures as it needs to be, but mm-hmm. it's like I'm just ready to dive in. Get into the content. We've yeah, had some good uh, few design challenges, run some innovation stations, which has been really cool and fun. Yeah, yeah. we're kind of trying to like pilot that a little bit and see how we could bring it to school-wide, doing some more innovation stuff and just trying to provide that creativity. And It's been it's been a really good experience. Our kids have loved it. So. Yeah, it's been fun. And I look forward to learning all about all the things you're doing and stealing it. I know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, tell me, tell me I'm in steal mode lately, content. so yeah. everything, yeah. everything Perfect. I look at. So after we create the plan and have the system all up and running, we'll just send you a copy of that. There it is. Awesome. There you yeah. go. Uh, so today we're going to jump into talking about math instruction. I've done some reading over the summer and then talking to these guys. This is like probably my favorite thing to talk about in education right now because it's just one of those things that I think we don't talk about enough and that could really be changed in a positive way and the change doesn't seem to be coming at a good enough rate yet. So I'm really excited to dive in here, but I think to kind of start it off, something that is interesting to me is to learn about everybody's like personal math experiences um, as they grew up like what do they remember about math enjoying the subject and just the big takeaways Kevin what do you remember about math so many memories (laughs) Um, one of which I remember in third grade um, after a times test um, basically not really passing out, but kind of dropping to the floor for a second after the amount of anxiety that I felt after trying to pass my sevens or eight. I don't even know what it was. I know it was seven, eight or nine because those were the struggle was real with those. So um, that was one of them. Um, Another one would be um, even recently, like I was at a conference and uh, they there was a presenter that was going through something and was handing me cards and I'm trying to like process what he's going to have me do after like he's handing me a card and he's saying, okay, here's a 10 of, you know, hearts or whatever. And so I'm thinking I'm adding all these together and he just keeps giving me different cards and I'm going through the values and then he changes it in the middle of it. And he's like, so how many did you have? Like whatever. And I got the answer wrong and I was so like embarrassed and just kind of 
that it, obviously it sticks with me. And so there's just a ton of anxiety attached to math. Like even in high school, I pretty much sat at the teacher's desk just like wanting Miss Garrison, shout out to you for surviving that. Um, <laughs> that was just a struggle for sure. But um, I was always fortunate to have somebody in my life that was very um, understanding of the anxiety and the, you know, trepidation that it caused me. And so those are my memories of math. Until teaching, and then we'll get into that. That changed. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's kind of important for me to say that as an adult, I like feel smart. I don't know that that's true, but I feel that way. She's um, very smart. I, I identify. Jury's still out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, and I think that's important to say because, like, as a kid in elementary school, like, I did not. I thought I was the dumbest kid in class. Um, I hated school. I didn't know. I felt like I didn't understand anything. And math was the worst. Math made me feel like that more than anything else. Um, I never could memorize my multiplication facts, and we always had the time tests and stress me out all the way into adulthood. Like, even feeling intelligent as an adult, I still kind of, like, just... If somebody asked any kind of basic math question, and my mind immediately went blank, I think probably to, like, preserve how I identify myself, like, I didn't even try. Like, I wouldn't even try. I'd be like, oh, somebody else does that, knows how to do that, is good at that, they'll do it. And I don't have to. I don't have to do this, you know. And so I would never, like, would allow myself to even be challenged by any kind of, you know, or my idea of myself to be challenged by, you know, any kind of basic. It was a defense mechanism, you put it. Yeah, for real, it really was. So um, I just remember that being a struggle. And even now, like, I feel really good about it. I actually really enjoy doing some mental math stuff because, you know, going through elementary education stuff, I'm like, oh, my gosh, here's this whole new way to do math. So I feel like my idea about math has changed. Um, but even now, when you say sevens, eights, and nines, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, so much pressure. You know, I just remember that spike of, like, you know, fear. <laughs> so, but, yeah. I can remember in school, I loved school, but I was just terrified of, like, that anxiety of getting something wrong. So I've always been a perfectionist. And I remember vividly, my mom came home from parent-teacher conference, and she said, your teacher told me that you need to work on your math facts, and you don't know your math facts. And my parents, um, being kind of the perfectionists that they are, they went home and they, like, bought me the math flashcards, and we were doing them, like, every night. And still to this day, like, if something with, like, math facts comes up, I'm like, like, I want to shut down. Um, I remember my first day teaching fifth grade, I put a time test in front of my kids and we were going to have to like go over the answers together. And I was going to have to be like the one who knew all the answers. And this was zero through 12s. And I can remember sitting up there thinking like, why didn't I do this ahead of time? Like, why didn't I print off the answers? Like they're going to know the answers and I'm not. And like, I don't know if I remember all my 12s. And like, I was having the anxiety as a teacher in that situation because I was thinking back to as a kid when I had that pressure from the math facts and just wasn't good so yeah my math experience is a little different than your guys until time uh rote memorization is something that if i work on i'm really pretty good at and so i I excelled in math in elementary school when someone can teach me uh, a way to do something and like you know like that old school like routine it connected really well with me i could do the routine if you teach me how to do it and it's just put a number here put a number here and then uh Math facts I never had a problem with. They just kind of came uh, just a little bit of study, and I had them, and I was quick at them. And so I always felt like I was really good at math. Uh, And then I got up to high school, 
And the thing that I most remember is when math really got hard because it just wasn't easy for me anymore when you had to kind of start thinking about it differently in these bigger concepts, uh, especially in like geometry um, and then some really as you get higher level within some of the uh, algebra concepts, I started thinking like, man, I don't understand anything I'm doing. Uh, and I remember a teacher that I had and, you know, everyone said she was like the best teacher and she was awesome. She was great at teaching math. And I would take home 80 problems a day, you know, like do all the odds on page, you know, 36 or whatever. And I'd do all the odd problems and I'd be looking in the back to try to figure out the answers to the even ones or I don't know if it's even odd, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'd have mm -hmm. to do 80 problems. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know how to do one of these problems. Like, how am I yeah. supposed to do 80 of these, you know? And so that's when it started to hit with me. I mean, for a long time, I thought I wanted to do something in math. Uh, up through like junior high and then high school hit and like later on in high school I was like I'm, I want no part of math anymore so my elementary experience was oh this is super easy I enjoy this and then I think that realization of math isn't quite what this is uh, kind of changed that for me um, and I think math anxiety is something like the three of you were talking about a lot mine not so much anxiety is just the feeling of failure in math eventually that I, I couldn't learn and I couldn't do it but when we really look at uh, time tests and anxiety in elementary school, there's a lot of studies out there that are showing that time tests uh, will cause about one in three math students to have anxiety. And I mean, you think about your classroom of 30, uh, if you ha were to have 30, that's 10 of your students are experiencing math anxiety. Well, and it's not just an experience in that moment, but it's something that then we almost feel like it's like PTSD. Like then the next time some a situation like that comes up, you remember that anxiety that you had. So it's not just you're creating that bubble of anxiety during yeah. the test. It's something that's, that might stick with them. Yeah, yeah, you start to develop and like practice skills of avoidance. That's or, what you I know was what I mean? Say, yeah. Like I mean, it gets really, really easy to start avoiding it. You figure out like I mean, instead of learning yeah. math, you learn how to you know you not go do math. To your sisters who might have been a little older than you in high school, and said, "Who's the teacher that's going to help the most? Who's the teacher that's going to yeah. be the the, yeah. the easiest to to work with?" And even college, like I took a class online to avoid that horrific math. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. class that everybody failed and it wasn't even probably that the professor wasn't very good or that it's just all of us have that math anxiety and that so many people were getting C's and D's. I took an online math class to transfer in that credit in order to get the A or in order yeah. to make sure that I, I didn't learn anything from that. It was an online class. I sat with a friend and I, we worked through it, you know, it, together and it was so confusing to me, but we did the assignments, we did the, the tests, we got through the hoops, but it was such an avoidance practice for mm -hmm. me to to not actually challenge myself to get in and and figure it out and learn it it was just okay tell me what step first what's the first step and then i got to do this and then i carry the one and then i do that and then I and then you the get the answer. a and then you never have to do it again yes. yeah 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 mm -hmm. and then then it's just a void yeah and so not until i got into the classroom and started actually teaching where that was scary enough as it was whenever you're up in front of the room making mistakes and i started just making that a part of what like on purpose I mixed my personal like accidental mistakes mm -hmm. with like s deliberately planting mistakes so that way they wouldn't see that I was making mistakes <laughs> like you know perfect. what I mean it's like okay Genius. so seven times seven 42 and they're like no it's not I'm like guys you're gonna have to argue with me why do you feel it's not 42 and I'm sitting there in my head going is it 42 like I don't know like yeah. and so like that was one of my coping mechanisms and and you know and I still to this day 
thankfully math is starting to change a little bit in how we process and how we feel students should um, approach it and it shouldn't be such a oh well you don't know seven times seven i'm sorry that's you know to the end of the line for you and you mm -hmm. know and we've gone away from that a little bit but it's a slow going process to get everybody to shift their mindset into what something in education is a slow going <laughs> process that seems so weird and so opposite of everything that education's about yeah definitely uh it does remind me of something you said in the growth mindset episode kevin on like once you start quitting once you start saying like i got to avoid just like that once or you start to feel that anxiety then it becomes that automatic. Mm -hmm. Like your brain just starts doing that and says, okay, this is coming. There's no processing needed. Here's my avoidance. And humor is Well, it's a mindset. Yeah. yeah. Like it's I'll the way use humor to like just... joke around with being able to avoid it. I will, you know, take the easy ones. Like that's what I always did in school. It was like, okay, what is two plus two? And I'm like, oh my gosh, pick me. <laughs> like, I mean, that's my chance. Yes, and then you're done. And then I can, can just check sit that back off, yeah. and relax because, and I would just, wait and like listen to every word the teacher said in order to jump in on that opportunity of something I knew because I knew I wanted to participate and that was a part of my personality that I wanted to be a part of it but when it came to a room full of people of of my peers and I was going to have to actually provide some kind of like higher level thinking in mathematics not a chance but I knew that I had so many positive you know participation tokens entered in there that people thought I knew what I was talking about enough how much of it is that you're trying to impress your peers I mean I think about our students too the ones who I know are not very successful in math right now and they're the ones that are acting out and they're having those behaviors because they want to be seen as that you know funny kid because they want to preserve their identity they don't want right. to feel that like stress and that feeling of, you know, I'm not good at math. I'm unsuccessful. Yeah. And how much of that is, again, caused through that growth mindset at some point, yeah. getting that fixed mindset of, I can't, I'm not good at this. I can't do it. So now I need to, you know, do something else with it. We're kind of talking about math facts a lot. Um, so I do want to bring it up because every time I feel like we have this discussion or people talk about math facts teachers are like no it's the most important thing and they they still need to know these things because everything we're going to teach them they need to know and um i'm kind of thinking about that the other day with just any job how much do you use math facts i mean you use number sense you know you as long as you can use your number sense and solve a math fact like if i'm doing a big math problem I'm probably going to use a calculator mm -hmm. or a computer right. and i feel like most jobs where people are doing like huge computational skills they're going to use a computer or a calculator because it's going to get it right every time mm -hmm. like who's doing long division right now that's not right. using using those things you know and like we're, we're so careful to be like oh we don't want our students to use a calculator that they, they can only get it with the calculator well math is a whole lot more than being able to solve a computational problem well and i, I think, think go ahead you, like i have a thought you have a thought <laughs> is it my turn to use my token yes um <laughs> I think, too, it's really important that we think about what's the focus on math. Is it that they know the process is, oh, I need to multiply because I'm trying to figure out I know this one thing is worth this amount and I have 17 of them. Oh, I need to take these two um, quantities and multiply them. Is it better for them to understand the process or just have that rote memorization and really not understand why they're using it and it's yeah. almost the cliche like not to say cliche but the real world examples that we kind of push lately and, and it, it's so important to understand that because i would just do the algorithm 
to a T as best as I could remember and I missteps or whatever. And then the number would come out 14 and it was supposed to be 4,012. And I'm like, that's 14. an acceptable answer. Absolutely. Write it down. Like I had yeah. no way of really like putting any kind of, estimation. yes. Like, yeah. does that make sense? Does that anything that would like, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And that was something that I never really got, got because it was so based on step one add step two mm-hmm. multiply step three bring down or you know add subtract multiply like, like even with long division the same process over and over again if you make an error or you omit something and the, the answer comes out with maybe a missing decimal point or a digit mm-hmm. which changes the value mm-hmm. of it vastly significantly yeah, yeah but you didn't even register it because you were so focused on the algorithm in the process than you were on the actual does that make sense well, and a lot of the research that we've been doing, it's almost like we teach math backwards. Like we're teaching the process and those like steps and that computation first. And then we're like, okay, now we're going to take that and apply it to the real world situation. But what if we present right. the kids with some kind of real world world situation and then see how they process through it? And then those, like the conceptual understanding of like, oh, this doesn't make sense at all. You know, I'm going to end up with 10 feet of rope to build this huge fence. Like that doesn't make sense. So, yeah. well, I think that's like that. What are you, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the problem solving aspect of it or the computational? So, uh, Joe Bowler talked about it in one of her books. Um, I think it was 1970s or 1980s computational, like for math jobs, jobs where mathematics was needed, computational skills was in like the top three of what what they what employers were looking for when they were hired you know they wanted them to be able to figure out and solve problems and then now i mean this one was like in 2010 computational is like the last skill they care about they care mm-hmm. about the communication the problem solving uh can they work collaboratively Collaborate. you know those are the things they care about because again like computational is done 99 percent of the time by a computer now those that, that estimation yeah that can be important you know mm-hmm. uh like can you do estimation? That's more of the reasoning. Yeah, Yeah. that's the reasoning. And so it comes down to, again, on, I think our focus is still on something that now we know isn't really the focus anymore or shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And then we're losing some of that focus on what, what is important, that problem solving. Well, you have to think too, what is the purpose for teaching math? Like when you were in college, what was the purpose of that class? Was it just so you could get through it, pass, like jump through the hoops and then so Never think about it again. You know, <laughs> as as us, as teachers, you know, we are trying to instill in students that deeper understanding of math and number sense, the reasoning, so that they can use it. They don't necessarily have to have that computational, you know, first I do this, then I carry the one, then this, you know, because knowing that set of steps, rarely, I always give this example to my kids in the grocery store. Like, somebody could come up to you in the grocery store and be like, what is 12 times 7? Go. <laughs> no. Yeah. But you not. may, <laughs> but you may have packages of twelve cupcakes and need to figure out how many of them. It's like and then the you get out your bun debacle. Yeah, you get match. out your get out your phone. <laughs> you calculate it. You figure it out. You check. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm gonna get seven packs of cupcakes. That's enough for my party. Yeah. So, understanding that it's an application piece, but that's that should be more of it. I liked what you said, um, Morgan, earlier about it's kind of we do it backwards too because we are doing like this the most abstract piece and the less tied into any kind of concrete reality like with equations and just memorizing equations and how or like you know the um algorithm or whatever we memorize that but we don't like understand why you know Mm -hmm. which it goes to that purpose you're talking about too like why are you doing that like what is do you even know why you're doing that like why are you multiplying in this case or whatever and so it makes me think about 
one of the things that we kind of touched on in the elementary math in college was this there's a the Singapore math theory and it's got like three major steps and it is like first you especially with a new concept you start with concrete like with manipulatives or whatever like you really want to show the like um, grouping and decomposing of groups and stuff like that like how you like what makes sense you know what I mean yeah and then you make it kind of like pictorial so that that way they have this visual element that they can always refer to and then you go to abstract yeah and you do the equations you're not supposed to just hop into equations and what I like about that that theory and how I've been trying to change our own math instruction too is then the kids discover what they're actually doing through that picture first through or well through the the um, concrete first and then the picture and then when they get to the algorithm the algorithm you don't really have to teach it to them you're saying oh this is just how we write what you've already done yeah it's a representation exactly. of that picture you drew yes. and in the and purpose so instead of drawing five thing. cats i wrote the number five to represent that right. yeah. yeah like then they actually understand what it is mm -hmm. how many times has a, a third grade student gotten out of third grade and not really truly understood what multiplication is yeah I mean just around the United States I wonder how many each year go to fourth grade not truly knowing what multiplication is besides if I see three you know and that well X that means times six then I know that I've got a two you know sort of three groups of six or it's 18 you know or I wrote it 75 times so now I know it's 18 so I see a three I see an X I see a six I put an 18 right, right. so now Without, I just know that these right. symbols together yes. when I do this symbol or the yeah. fact family you know I yeah. understand that those yes. three numbers go together but I don't know why right yeah, yeah. That, that why and that purpose it's so important for everything it's important in reading it's important in all of education and yet I feel like math is like the longest subject we're getting to connect that why to like it's just taking us so long to connect that there because you have that finality of I got the right answer I don't know how I got there I don't know what it means but guess what I got the right answer and so you feel accomplished by that and then you move on yeah I know mm -hmm. how to get right answers. yes I know how to get right answers yeah. and it just like but and then you get a sticker right on your paper yeah. and you just continue to get that positive yes. reinforcement for getting the right answer where I almost sometimes feel like there is so much more value in making a mistake like yeah. and and having the opportunity to process through why we felt that way and why we were able to and taking away that negative stigma from the mistake and you know and that's a classroom community thing and and things like that but you know when someone has an error or someone has a miscue or something like that you learn so much more from everybody in the rather than everybody in the class getting the right answer and just moving on just because they got the right answer does not prove that they understand the concept mm -hmm. and that's something that's really difficult for teachers because you look for that right answer you know so in the past when we maybe started math instruction in third grade we would think about okay what foundational skills do they need to know and honestly, one of them was fact fluency and thinking about, you know, their math facts. And this year it's been really cool. Levi and I have jumped in um, with the U-Cubed, um, which is kind of Joe Bowler's website. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like just that in and of itself has already changed some of our kids' math mindsets, like, just significantly. I'm hoping that yeah. it's really had a positive impact on them. Yeah, so U-Cubed does actually now, I think it's three weeks. I, I would have to check that out, but they have, like, I know two for sure for most grade levels of it's called weeks of inspirational math and it's taking all of Joe Buller's kind of mindset mathematical mindset and helping you push it out to your students uh, and it's just really cool stuff uh, things kids like it's using that visual really making math visual and making math fun and then while also pushing that growth mindset of yeah mistakes are gonna happen that's how you learn that's how you grow 
that's how you get better at math. Uh, talks a lot about brain research with the kids, which, you know, I kind of wasn't sure about, but our kids have been talking to me about brain research, you know, about like, hey, so it's cool, you know, I've learned that when I draw a picture with math, it's creating a highway in my brain, and so now every time that I draw a picture and I can prove something, you know, it's connecting both sides of my brain. I mean, there's all these things that the kids then get excited about, too, and I, I think it was really it was really great we had so many of our kids that loved math after that week um i asked a lot of them what's your favorite part of third grade and they were saying math yeah it was that's really cool and i mean that was we were still doing some other fun i mean math was really the one subject we jumped in kind of to right but yeah yeah so how does that relate to number talks and like that kind of because we're implementing number talks and i it's new for me we talked about a little bit last year at my previous school and so um, it's a great opportunity for a open discussion and problem solving and kind of critical thinking and discussion and talking through how you solved problems um, and you know things like that it's like more of an open-ended process yeah. so. well and the great thing about number talks like what you were just talking about where it's like there's that finality in math number talks kind of takes that finality away okay. and so when you present a problem and it can be anything um, we've done number talks with like a visual dot card so it's I got love all doing the dots. dot card up there in just a random pattern look up visual dot cards and it's just how the kids are seeing how the dots are so maybe some of them group them up in threes so like relationships maybe it's pictures yeah and then they start showing how they're counting up or it's literally a math problem we did uh 34 plus 35 the other day i just said that out loud to students and then we start presenting their different ways they would solve it in their head and what i've told the kids from day one and what we all have is i don't don't just don't give me the answer Tell me everything you did. Mm-hmm. And then you can give me the answer at the end if you want on how you solved it. But tell me everything you did. And because then it focuses on, hey, here's what matters, the process. The finality, I don't, I don't care that much about. Right now I care about the process. What are you doing? What are you seeing when you see this problem? Yeah, I was in a classroom the other day that we were, um, they were doing a number talks-like activity. It wasn't true number talks, but they used the same approach, mm-hmm. you know, where the students were able to reason out uh, estimation, and uh, estimating is difficult sometimes, you know, yeah. when you're talking about what's, does that make sense, and mm-hmm. the students were um, coming up with the answer 380 and then 50, and she had, you know, she wanted to talk to them about, you know, well, how did you get to that, and so they went and they told each student, you know, or a group of students told how they solved the problem, and so it was like, I looked at these two, they had common numbers or, you know, friendly numbers, and so, and they worked out, and then, you know, really listening to the students talk about math and how they were able to process out and what they did to solve was really neat whenever I was in there. And then at the end, everybody being okay with the fact that 50 was completely on the opposite side because they subtracted or because they did something incorrect. But no one was, you know, like hurt by the fact that their answer was up on the board incorrect. It was really just the community of learning. And they used math while also getting that collaboration, that communication, that being a critic of something and having to prove something. I mean, all those important skills while also getting that same math instruction. And like, I think as the teacher, it just kind of shows that you really just based on what you're prioritizing like the process and the different because there are different you know processes you can go through or different ways to get an answer and so by prioritizing that over the right answer and everybody somehow magically getting to the right answer like that just immediately I think kind of diffuses the anxiety that I think a lot of us yeah mm-hmm. have or have had and as begins I think like I I keep going back to the real world application, but like our students, like if they want a job in math, a lot of times they might end up being like an engineer or, 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 you know, something like video game designer software, you know, something there. And it's like, 
is it going to be get the right answer or is it going to be, hey, look through this algorithm and see why it isn't getting the right answer? Uh-huh, right. You a know, lot of debugging. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's what Love it's going to be. Yeah. Like the, the debugging a lot of times or, hey, this process isn't quite working as efficiently as we want it to. How can we make it more efficient? I mean, those are the things they're going to have to do. And so it is. It's so much more about the process than the finality anymore because mm-hmm. we can get to that final answer so easily now. Right but we want to solve problems, and so we have to be able to look through the process. That's how you solve problems. And providing opportunities for the productive struggle. Yes. So like when you're debugging and you're trying to process through something, it's not going to be, oh, I just walked, it's right there. It is the, the fact that you're going to have to think and trial and error and, and give more opportunities and go and find someone who knows a lot about it as well and work with them and, and keep going back to it. And it is the fail forward and the growth mindset and those kinds of things. And I know, and you it's know, more it's like, scary to do that when it's about this process. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then, well, you were saying something really interesting there about the, like, going to somebody, like, finding somebody who knows more. And so I think that's something that we've been talking about a lot as teachers, too, is, like, what's the, like, how do you, like, like, with differentiation, how do you, like, get the different levels of students? How do you group them? Do you use your high kids to help low kids? Like, what do you do? I think it's really important that we get that productive struggle piece for every student. And so, um you know, naturally, oh, ability grouping kind of makes sense there because then you can differentiate the instruction. However, there's a lot of research that goes against ability grouping. So I think we right now are kind of, we don't have an answer to that. So yeah, um, it's a a conversation that like Morgan and I talk about a lot actually with through because we do co-teach. And so naturally when you start co-teaching, you know, people assume that you're doing this ability grouping and teaching everybody at their level. Why that always sounds good. Um, a lot of times I don't know if the results are the same because I mean there's just so much research going out right now on like which makes sense but I think of like Hattie stuff like uh, a student's concept of how he or she is going to do means more than anything you know like a student's mm-hmm. confidence in their own ability means well, their more mindset. than anything yeah. yeah their mindset is the number one thing and so sometimes in ability grouping without meaning to kids are pretty smart and if they realize like oh I'm in the low group that confidence goes down so while yes I might be providing something better for them at their level if their confidence is down then they feel like they can't do it then it's that mindset you know then you're then you're fighting a fixed mindset which is so much harder and I think that mixing that up you know if you do feel obligated to ability group because of time and because of you know resources or because of however um providing opportunities for that student to also work with peers of different abilities. And so mm-hmm. you can't just always be strictly, you know, focused on that because when maybe when you're doing a mini lesson, it's a brand new concept, give everybody a fair shot at the same playing field. There's no reason for you to be, you know, um, you know, as you're, labeling yeah, assumed, almost. Yeah, yeah you're yeah, like, tracking, okay, well, yeah. you were yeah. really tra- struggling with fractions, and so you're going to go to the low group and, you know, and decimals because they're kind of, cause no, mm-hmm. give them everybody an opportunity, show them what they know, figure out who is struggling, and then provide that scaffolding for those students. And it doesn't, it can be in through a conference, it doesn't always have to be a group. Now, I understand time is, you know, of the essence in education, and so maybe grabbing the five students that have a similar, you know, misconception is a really intelligent design but mm-hmm. also 
that's as needed. It's a, I met with them for two, two meetings on that group. It's yeah, not, you are always in the low link. group. And yeah. every time I pull there, you're always in this group with the same four people. And I think showing a, a couple of things, but one showing that all voices matter is important there too. So, I mean, if you are ability grouping and you're, you're coming back at some point, or like we do a math Congress every day with our groups and they come back and we do our reflection then, uh, just making sure that every voice is heard and every voice is valued. So then those students know that our, our learning was valued. Um, I think it's important. And then another thing, this is another Joe Bowler. Uh, if you haven't read anything, Joe Bowler, please do. Um, she's or listen to her amazing. speak. Yeah, listen to her speak too. She's on some uh, podcasts you can find, um, YouTube, everywhere. But uh, she talks a lot about like, high ceiling, low floor questions, uh, which we've talked about again in the Growth Mindset episode two, but with that same math problem, you're saying, okay, I'm gonna present this mini lesson on fractions or you know whatever, this new concept in fractions. Then creating questions where those kids who might get it really quickly, who are more apt at solving fraction problems, okay, where can I extend the same problem for them and then that RTI that you're talking about with those five of that same common misconception, you know, start saying, oh, there's a common misconception here. I'm gonna have this ready for a quick RTI group with kids who have that 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 struggle there. So it's the same question, so you're not writing, you know, 25 different questions. You're writing one question that has the room to grow, you know, up, and it has the room to, you know, kind of come in right at that level. And I think that's important too. That, that's kind of helped me. I, Everyone always is like, no, oh, differentiation is so important. And I've mm -hmm. always agreed. Right. But then I'm always like, I don't know how to do this. Right. Well, I don't have that much time to write yeah. 62 different Absolutely. plans for every kid. Have those on her site. Because I'm just, because just even hearing you say that, I'm like, yeah. oh, that's hugely valuable. Yes. To, like, be able to do that. So yeah, the U-Cubed website is really cool in the fact that you don't have to have a membership or login. Um, the resources are all there. And those high ceiling, low floor questions, um, they're abundant there's a whole bank of them you can go there and look at them and if you go through the week of inspirational math too every question she provides for those weeks like each day you know it's usually like a big problem kind of to look at and solve or to you know be a pattern detective and to look at just different patterns as you do that uh, each question is designed to be low floor high ceiling mm -hmm. So that those students who want to keep going can keep going. And does she do? So I'm assuming, but she does like video content to support like how you do, how you determine these things. And okay, yeah, right, she does cool. a lot there. And I then really, really should read her book. <laughs> I'm yeah. currently checking that out. Yeah, her <laughs> book <laughs> is Mathematical Mindsets by Joe Bowler is the best book I read this summer. Yeah, awesome. I probably and you probably read like books. 22. Yeah, but you, you do. I do say, say that, that about, about almost every book. But I would like if I really had to pick a book from this summer. Oh man, Putty Mistress is really good too. But yeah, Mathematical Mindsets has changed the way I teach more than, than any book I read this summer. I just think it's that that powerful and that important. Uh, and, and just thinking about math differently and how visual math is, and it's such a visual subject and it can be so fun for kids and it can be so different and looking at patterns and really like looking through a problem and that problem solving and focusing on it. And we. We don't teach it that way so many times and so I just think it's changed to, to try to make math more fun because our kids a lot of times don't like math because right. sounds like most of us didn't like yeah, math at some right. point in our life so it's yeah. the same reason you know we teach it the same way and then they yeah, don't like it you know not yeah. real. I think one yeah. of the most like valuable things that I ever had as an educator as a teacher was um, 
listening to my kids talk about how their mindset changed about math after they were in my classroom. Like, I feel like that was, like, I really messed up on probably lots of different opportunities for teaching. Like, I missed uh, out on chances. Possible podcast episode. We get Kevin's what are all students of, to come on. Yes. Tell us where he messed up. I'm just kidding. No, for real. They would have, there are plenty of content, I'm sure. But, you know, one of the things was the students had such anxiety about math and then left saying, I like math. It's my favorite subject. Mm -hmm. And that was such a huge thing for me because I always, no matter how hard I worked at math, I always left feeling the same way about it. Success, not successful. You know, I got through my nines. I, you know, I was one of the people who finished my multiplication tables, whatever, and, and felt that success, got the A, but I always left feeling the same anxiety about math going into the next class. Mm -hmm. And so that was just a success story for me of, you know, just watching them grow in math and to actually understand and enjoy it was fun. And I messed it up all the time. Like there, there were so many errors that I made, but they loved catching me make errors. And, yeah. and we kind of, you know, I would purposely plant errors like I talked about before, but, um, when I did make a mistake, they knew it was no big deal. Yeah. And, and that modeling like that. One thing. Yeah. That's the one thing that I feel like was okay. was good that I brought in was cause I was like, I was very sensitive to not cause math anxiety mm. in anybody else. And so I was like, Oh, you guys help me out. Help me out all the time. You know, I was really open about it. And like, you know, like with the students and I don't think there was like, nobody had any real like fear of math at least. And I feel like that sounds like a little bar to hit, but uh, I think a lot of kids are still getting anxiety in math in schools today. And well, um, yeah, look at so everything we've talked successful. about. Yeah. Like, the, how, how important this mindset is. You're yeah. acting like that's a little bar. Yeah. And I literally think that's the most important thing. I know. That's the thing. So I'm like, so I still feel like that was, it's a really, you know, it's a really good thing. Like, it, you know, like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say I have no, like, you know, depth yeah. in my math but like, teaching, an, but I'm just saying that one thing I knew for sure was good in my class. As an administrator, the, one of the things as well that I've noticed is, and that you, you know, exemplified was, I don't know everything about triangles. Will you come in and teach that for me? Because you knew I loved math and you mm -hmm. allowed me the opportunity not to like throw you under the bus or anything, <laughs> but like you said, you yeah. know, like, hey, like this is a little, you know, this is, yeah. it's been a long time since I've dealt right. with these kinds of things. Can you tell me? And I got right. to come in and teach. Yeah. And adults' anxiety with math is carried over to teachers, you know, mm -hmm. that they grow up, they become teachers, they become educators, and they still have those anxieties with math. And they still hate to feel like they don't know how to do something or they, they're that they're, you know, una I'm a professional. My boss is coming in. I'm not going to pretend right. like I don't know something. Yeah, it's a cycle. And that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they never took the time. And so now they're teaching students incorrectly or mm -hmm. they're avoiding subjects and they're like, OK, I'm going to read this from the book. Or they're and modeling math things. Yeah. Or they're right. modeling incorrect yeah. math, yeah. <laughs> and they're, you know, because What's, they mm -hmm. don't fully know. So there's an article that um, Joe Bowler references, but it talks about specifically female teachers and how they have um, their math anxiety can be transferred to female students in their classroom. Um, and this is by, um, it looks like Bila Gunderson, Ramirez, and Levine. Um, but basically in their research, they were able to understand that that mindset from the teacher carries 
so much weight for those students' mindset then. And then... In as young as kindergarten students. Yes. And, and you think it's a re- relational thing as a teacher. Like, I was bad at math, and so mm-hmm. I don't like math, and that's terrible. We'll yeah. get through it, guys. Like, okay, guys, like, it's math time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got to do math and now. You don't you know? realize what kind yeah, of damage you're doing to it because you're, like, imprinting that, that kind of thinking onto them. They're like, oh, yeah, math. Oh, we hate math. Like, <laughs> we're going to get through it, though. Like, if you... Yeah. Can, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that you can't be honest with kids and yeah. be like... Well, this is the thing, like, I, like, and this is, because I feel like I just said, (laughs) 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 but I, but, like, I do think that, like, you can, like, have a subject that you're challenged in and that you can model for students, but I love a challenge. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not great at this, but I like to do it. And, like, and I'm going to find somebody else. Here's what I do as a learner, because I learn all the time. And what I do as a learner is I find somebody who's really good at it, and I learn from them, or I steal their knowledge. You know what I mean? And learning with kids, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, there's subjects that came up when my first year of teaching, and I always I remember like looking in the math book, planning ahead, and I'm like, multiplying fractions. I have yes. no clue yeah. what I'm doing with this. <laughs> I did exactly it what I was thinking. Time. Yeah, and you're just sitting there, and you're like, guys, this is gonna be rough, but we're gonna learn together, and we're gonna uh-huh. do this right. And you know, instead of me sitting up there and pretending to be the authority on the matter, we would watch mm-hmm. videos on it. We would f- go to resources. We would find people right. that were smart about it. We had instructional coaches, or et cetera. And so. Those are the kinds of things that you can do as a teacher to, you know. Like, what do you do when you don't know? Yeah. That's Model that growth need. mindset. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's what they, yeah. Yep. This, this is... So all this has got me thinking about a quote. It's a quote for reading, though. So I'm yeah. going to have to change yeah. it to math, but I do want to read it. Uh, it's by Kyleen Beers. And I found it on Twitter, so. But <laughs> if we teach a child to read but fail to develop a desire to read, we will have created a skilled non-reader, a literate, illiterate. And no high test score will ever undo that damage. Right. And I think the same thing in math. Like, if we teach a child how to do, you know, this routine math and they become really good at, you know, solving the algorithm over mm-hmm. and over again, but then they don't really know the why and they don't really love math, then, yeah, it might help that, that test score for one year, but what are we really creating long term? Right. Uh, Joe Buller talks a lot about, you know, our... In our country, our need right now for uh, degrees in science and math, a lot of times in math, it's because of how we're teaching math in elementary and high school. It's not that the kids aren't smart enough to do it. It's that their mindsets at some point were became fixed in math. Stifled. Or they got up to the college level of math, and they're like, oh, this isn't me just learning algorithm and fill it out anymore. This is, yeah. I have to understand this. Right. So like what you now. said, you know, you initially in elementary school and early ju- junior high and stuff, you were very good at that rote memorization. Yeah. yeah. And then when you exactly. got to the more, you know, creative part of math where you have to be able to process through it and kind Ta- of signs, take... Signs, cosines. Yes. Mm-hmm. Things that it's, I don't know. It's not just like <laughs> you know, step one, step yeah. two, step three. It became a challenge. Right. And I, I really, I mean, and I'm glad that everything worked out how it did because I became a teacher and, and I've gotten yeah. in there, but I really think I probably would have pursued something in math. I think I would have probably done, it would have probably been something in research or something like that, but that's where my love kind of comes from, even within teaching, you know? And so like, I loved thinking about math this way because I know that's what happened to me, you know? And so yeah. it's like, if I can change that for even just one kid who then eventually goes on or... You know, she goes on and she goes into college and is able to at least understand the why and look for the why and have that growth mindset and then get a job there. I think that that's so much more powerful to me. 
it's funny that we keep like it's just so it's just clearly so applicable that we keep talking about growth mindset in this because we keep because we're like here's this fixed strategy like if we're teaching in that way here's this fixed strategy to get this one algorithm that is how I want you to get to this answer yeah. and that really and then we've all said I was good at this or I was bad at this which is like yeah. the mm-hmm. label for a fixed totally mindset. fixed yeah. so yep. the way so this like fixed way of teaching is like exactly in line with this fixed mindset so it's yeah. funny that it just we keep talking about it but I think it's worth calling out too like we're teaching them to have a fixed mindset in math like yeah you know and how do you break the cycle like how do you stop you got to do it with this like these frameworks that um, emphasize conceptual work right yeah. like so with the Joe Bowler stuff Singapore math anything yeah. that encourages number sense and mental math and regrouping and you know it, that kind of stuff where you talk about it and, and deeper not wider you yeah. know like yeah. really dive into what you're teaching in that wide I think and it is goes back to the quantity quality versus quantity yeah that yeah. I you have a hundred problems tonight guys you're gonna just get yes. an infinite amount of yeah. you know s- s- opportunities yeah. to do this problem incorrectly or correctly yeah. good luck yeah. however here's your you know that is right. the the change where it's like you have three problems they're deep they're heavy mm-hmm. they're gonna make you think I would much rather have see my kids come home with that this year right. and well, challenge the thing too like the other day I, I had a group of our students in a, a different classroom uh, going through some stuff and then I was just like you know I just kind of want to challenge these kids and I would I put a word problem up on the board and it was multiplication and our kids none of them know multiplication yet I mean maybe like two you know out of our 80 some kids and I put up this multiplication problem and I'm like yeah if you want to come up to the board and solve it solve it and I have all these kids trying to solve it and really I think we I mean I I had about 60 to 70 percent of probably of our kids get it right and so they can do multiplication already Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and here was the best part about it. So this was a word problem about bags of Skittles. So the kids are drawing literally bags of Skittles and getting the correct answer. However, if we were to present that same problem to a bunch of kids who we had tried to attempt to teach the process of multiplication first, Mm -hmm. they probably would be more likely to try and draw like six times five and write out the equation. Yeah. Not have that conceptual understanding of what they truly were doing, the concrete model. Yeah. So that just was so powerful. Like they, they, but that was the other cool thing. There's probably like 20 drawings on the board and I kept it on there. And I would say 15 of them are different strategies Mm -hmm. of how to solve it. Like, and yeah, like you're saying, if we would have taught just a kid drew an array, but we haven't taught, we haven't taught array in math. But if we taught three times five, you know, or I can't remember that that was the problem. But if we'd have taught that, then we probably would have had 15 trying that same exact way. We had three times five equals 13, three times five. But yeah. instead, because that week before we'd done the U cubed and it's like, hey, you know, math's visual. Here are the pictures and just try something. And they know, like, I'm never going to be mad at them. And, you know, Morgan's never going to be mad at them for making a mistake. We're going to celebrate your brain growing and learning and the mm-hmm. connections. I mean, they were all excited to try. And I just thought to myself, like, okay, so 75% of the kids in here already know multiplication, basically. Like, they know how to do it. They just don't know what it is yet. So that's what I need to keep building um i think that ties into a quote that i was going to bring up um so i'm reading a book that's called how not to be wrong the power of mathematical thinking it's by jordan ellenberg and it's not for education at all but it's really interesting um and he discusses the concept that even without the numbers and the equations and you know all the algorithms that we have that math exists in our world and 
what we do is we take those numbers and those algorithms and equations and we apply them to the math that already exists. Like right. math exists. Bags of Skittles exist. Yeah, that goes yeah. The power of flight. Yeah. He yeah. talks about the power of flight. You know, you're sitting on an airplane. You don't necessarily understand the yeah. mathematics that yeah. are going into the fact that you're flying through the air, but it exists. Yeah. And yeah. having that be our focus first in math, that math exists without all these steps and numbers and processes, mm -hmm. I think that will be so powerful for our kids. Yeah. I feel obligated to look up a quote now, because I mean, you <laughs> both <Nope>. had quotes. <laughs> Won't be good. No, just kidding. Too late. Yeah. Dear math, grow up and solve your own problems. How about that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I just saw uh, Google. Yeah. Uh, that's a little fixed. It's too fixed for me. Just uh, fixed. I'm just kidding. It personifies uh, math. <laughs> I do think uh, a couple final things to talk about. Um, a great thing that came out of the Common Core, and there was a million great things that came out of the Common Core, uh, standards for mathematical practices. Um, having your kids go through those, having those up in your room somewhere. I always kind of said, you know, everyone always kind of said it was important, and I never really did it. Uh, we've done it this year, and I can already see our kids like, oh, really starting to understand something deeper. And really, How the way we it? approached it, um, so the standards of mathematical practices are just like the ways kids mm -hmm. process through math. And so things like reasoning, drawing a picture, using the correct tools, those types of things. Mm -hmm. So what we had our students do this year that I've never done in the past was we kind of just asked them, like, what do kids do to be good at math? And we yeah. kind of presented them with that very PBL-ish, I felt like. And then they developed those ideas, and we, as they were creating the ideas, we connected them to those that mathematical really practices. Cool. We yeah. led them to them. all of them by yeah. themselves. And then we allowed did them to... Did you spend, like, class time doing that? Or? Yeah. Okay. We, yeah. we did that during math. Um, we allowed them then to create a poster with some kind uh -huh. of a visual representation of each of the practices. Yeah. And we're going to hang those up in the room, because I'll be honest, I've had them hung in my classroom for the last five years, but... Right. You know, being like, oh, guys, we're like, doing you number seven. Look, it's right. number seven. Yeah. Like, you know, they're using it, but they're not really connecting it. So we were yeah. hoping. And now they get to, like, make it. Yeah, the, the ownership yeah, awesome. in that. And awesome team friendly that. is such a huge thing. To be yes. Yeah. Yeah. Reason abstractly and quantitatively. I mean, like, I even struggled <laughs> to pronounce that. Like, right. Yeah. understand it. And well, so just to be able yeah. to go through and. We found, like, a student-friendly set of posters that you could, if you just wanted to print them out and hang them, you could, but right. we kind of led our kids to those. Yeah. And I think that's powerful. That's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it'll be great. Um, anytime kids are able to, like, because it's the process. Like, right. the mathematical yes. standards are the process. Um, so it's not memorize them as they've are posted on the wall. Right. It's to yeah. really live them. And, yeah. and so okay, they're let's referencing use those. process seven. No. Yeah. 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 But if they're referencing those, even if it is, mm -hmm. you know, you know, number seven there, and they're mm -hmm. referencing it, they're referencing the process that they just went through to figure out a math problem. So right. now next time they so have, you have a new that craft. common experience, and now they're hooking into, like, yeah. an anchor chart kind of situation. Yeah. So is. we've had all this PD on, you know, DMI, you know, mathematical thinking. So why is it that math is still stuck? I have an idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's because at the same time, I, I really do think it comes down to that fixed mindset and that growth mindset. Joe mm. Bowler calls it a mathematical mindset. She adds on to the growth mindset a little bit. Uh, and I think that's what it comes down to. I think we have teachers teaching a very fixed set of math right now. But yep. what's your idea? I think um, assessment ties into it, too. It's how, how do you assess 
standard seven, a student reasons abstractly through a process. Like you have to have a rubric. You have to sit down and conference with that student. You know, you could give a quiz that's question one through 10, you know, on yeah. multiplication facts. That's a lot easier to grade and getting those grades in the grade book is always a pressure for teachers. And then also those, you know, high stakes tests. You can't necessarily have a student share their mathematical process on a yeah. standardized test. We're right. assessing the fin We're finality. We're assessing the, the answer. Right. And so we feel like yeah. it's easy to just jump to, okay, so now you all should be able to abstractly, you know, like that's the only thing we teach. Yeah. And well, like, it's just so the obligation to yeah. be like, I still am accountable for my students' test scores at the end of the year. And mm -hmm. I know on that test, this is going to happen. And that, yeah. it's almost that cycle of like it is like a, it's like almost fear in that yes. case. And, and I think teacher. teachers have feared that if they teach right. it this new way where they're, well, but then will that translate to scores? Translate to scores. And theoretically, And it so should, teachers right? fall back. It should. Yeah. But I think so many times teachers fall back on that. Well, I know if I teach them the algorithm, they'll get the correct answer. So like, I think if I was starting something this like this, like you guys are, and you guys sound like you're already like, oh my gosh, this is way better. We can see it immediately that this conceptual understanding's there. But I think like the first step, like trying it, it'd be like, I'm gonna dedicate all this time. I don't know if anything's gonna come out of it. You know, like I think that mm -hmm. would be the fear of a teacher versus like you're like, I could just teach this. This is easier. I know it doesn't take time. It's you know yeah. what I mean. But mm -hmm. like, and so this thing that probably works way better, you know, for students right. and for yourself, like, well, gets neglected. And I think, again, just kind of how we talked about earlier, our own experiences, like, I I want to teach this year in math to help that student that's going to get to college and get stuck. And I, I don't want to care as much about, oh, what their assessment says at the end of the year. Because right. to me, if I can change that, Mm -hmm. That's much more powerful than one year them right. having a test score that they might not even know or care about that I probably shouldn't care about. Right. So yeah. it gets to that to me too, and it's like I, I'm playing the long term game because this is a kid's life that life, we're talking yeah. about. This you is ask their the why. You know what yeah. is the why? And yeah. that's what's hard. We got to ask ourselves that too. Yeah. Whenever I like, whenever map testing came around, it, we went away from exploring math and get. And it was you have to know what rotational symmetry is. Is going to be on the test. Mm -hmm. I understand it is so minuscule in your life and how often you. But you have to know that, and so we're going to drill that until you get it. And guess what? My kids scored very well on the test because we drilled those things. But again, I guarantee you, if I found one of them yeah, right it should now. Be like I'm going to send them a message and say, like. do you yeah. know what rotational symmetry is? Do you remember what this? And they will say, what? No, I don't have a clue. Right. Because I remember walking into the classroom, like I mentioned earlier, in the fifth grade classroom as I went to go teach and thought, I have not done or used these kinds of skills for a long time. Like, or you haven't thought about using them yes, for a long time. Yes, yeah. Yeah. but what I have done is I have problem solved. I have been presented things in my real life that have been challenging that I've had to use mathematics to solve, but I haven't had to think of what is rotational symmetry? What is array? Like not, is it a line? Is it a dot with a line and an arrow? Or is it a, the two lines with the, the continuum? Like when did I, you know what I mean? Like, and so there are, there are things that, you know, need to absolutely be considered and you need to have an understanding of mathematics and that is a part of it. But I would much rather have a, a classroom full of uh, thinkers and people who can persevere. Yeah. Let's think about they approach that test with a growth mindset. Even if, you know, you didn't teach them, like, specifically, you know, like, we're going to do 50 problems on rotational symmetry, they would look at that question and be able to process through it and think through it instead of just shutting down. Right. So yeah. that mindset, I think, is so much more important. 
and fail forward if you miss it we'll learn it later maybe exactly. you get, and instead of after the test saying don't talk to me about the test we can't mention the test because of test security you say hey you know what what's rotational symmetry that was on there and i was confused and it's a teaching opportunity that i can say oh this is what we do because that's what good assessment is for formative Absolutely. assessment yeah. Yeah. Exactly. On. yeah that would make some sense rather than the i'm sorry johnny i can't speak of the test because of test security because you might tell your let friend, me look at my script real quick yeah, and, uh, lives in, it is important sure that you I try your best monotone. please click on yeah. the question make mark sure if you need help oh wait that's me. wait we're it's getting old. into a whole new podcast here with <laughs> that will be coming <laughs> so we gotta be careful there um, okay but no uh the one final thing I'll say is if you are interested in Joe Bowler and you're like, uh, I don't want to read a book, but you want to take like a math course, she does do like online courses to really it's teach you I'd how to It's because I'd much rather do a math course than a read a book. <laughs> I was about to say I like, like okay, so what's this really good opportunity? Uh, <laughs> or just dig around on YouTube, dig around on YouTube just too, kidding. because her uh, resources have lesson plans that go with them. Yeah, but... This course, I do want to talk about this course. Is it free? It, it $99. Okay. This course unpacks the teaching approach that used in an 18-lesson intervention. It raised the achievement of students by the equivalent of 2.7 years in school after teachers were getting this. Okay, so that seems somewhat valuable. So, <laughs> like, probably worth it. Yeah, so I really do think it's powerful. Everyone that I have went through has said it's powerful. I'm waiting. I want to take it, but I'm going to probably wait till there's less Some things for me to do and right. to take. So, uh but I do think it is really powerful, and I think at least it's just like researching some of these and thinking about how you teach math yourself and finding finding a new opportunity to bring in some of that growth mindset. So fair. Okay. Cool. Well, this was no episode number six of the NSL podcast. Feel free to tweet us at nslpodcastedu. Uh, we do have a website as well. nslpodcast.home.blog. Yeah, and feel free to connect with us, talk to us. We'd love to get some more people on. Uh, I do think we're going to be talking about some fun things in the future. We're going to be doing some looks at a school. We've got an ed camp coming up. We're uh, going to do some interviews with someone in assessment. So we've got some cool stuff on the horizon for you. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We will see you later. Bye. See ya. Bye.